You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Last week, we started a, a, a kind of a change of course, looking at Discipleship 101. And uh, we began looking at this reality that there's only one type of Christian or follower of Christ, and that's a disciple. There's no such thing as someone who just says a conversion prayer, does their own thing the rest of their life, and then be considered a Christian. But actually, you say, if you want to come after me, you need to be a disciple. It's very simple, but it's very hard. And in some sense, uh, as I said, we kind of have a, a, an idea that if we just kind of, if we just, if we're just christened maybe as a baby, if we just kind of go to church, or maybe if my family is a Christian, then that's kind of, that's enough. If I kind of drift in and out, that would be okay. But actually, a disciple is actually requires all of us. A disciple is someone who is a student training and learning to be like the teacher in every way. And it's a lifetime commitment. You don't do a discipleship course and you've got it now cased. I, I'm now, I did the six week course at church. I'm now a disciple. I got the badge. No, actually, when you're 80 years old, you're still a disciple learning to be like the master. You never actually, there's not a point where you opt out of this process, but God continues to draw us back to a place where we continue to learn. You shouldn't be the same person today in your relationship with God as you were last year. There should be some parts of you that are becoming more and more like Jesus. There'll be areas of our lives that are being transformed and becoming more, that Je- more like who Jesus intends you to be. And the starting point that we looked at last week was this place of surrender. Giving up everything to follow Christ. Picking up a cross. And this is a challenging process for us because we like to have our own way, don't we? Come on. Just try watching television with your family. We all have an opinion. We all like to watch our own things. We, we, we have the sense of what we like. Usually on Friday nights as a family, we, we have like a, a movie night. And it's interesting. Caleb wants the action flick and... You know, Annalise wants this romance and, and Donna wants the drama and I'm with the remote. <laughs> so we'll watch whatever I think we should watch. But there must be peace in the family afterwards, right? The reality is we have a challenging process of surrendering because we, we all have a desire, we all have a will. And again, it'd be much easier when we give our lives to Jesus if God just knocked the will right out of us and we just kind of as kind of zombies just follow Jesus. But he doesn't do that. He, he wants us daily to pick up our cross, daily to surrender and say, God, have your way in my life today. And that's challenging because every day we have a thought process as to how we need to live our life. But God's ways are higher than our way. His, his thoughts are higher than our And we constantly come in conflict with what we think and what God thinks. And I've been walking with God since, well, since my, my childhood. And still today, I'm in conflict with the will of God. I've never come to a point where I think, oh, this is much easier now. How many can attest to that? Those who walk with Jesus. It's never easier. It never comes to a point where you think, wow, whew, past that hard patch. No, actually, because I hit a new area where it is not surrendered to God. Then God says, I want you to surrender this to me. And, oh, but God, but I've done this all my life. No, it's time to change. Oh, we don't like change, though, do we? The challenging, it's a challenging process that has to keep happening day after day. We are surrendering our lives over to, 
to a God that knows what's best for us because He loves us. And again, I think it isn't that God just wants our lives to be difficult and hard and challenging, but actually He, he sees it from a perspective that He created you and He knows what is the very best for your life and for your destiny. And so long as you're sitting outside of that, He sees the perspective that actually I've got something better for you and the thought process that you're living right now is holding me back from me doing all that I could do in your life because you think you know what's best. But if you just give away to me, I will do something great in your life. I will mold something in you that will change the world as my spirit works through your life. And so from surrender, we come to this point of saying, Jesus, here's my life, Lord. Take my life. And that prayer is so easy. Well, I shouldn't say so easy, but okay. It's a starting point. As we said last week, that, last week, it isn't the finish line. When we say yes to Jesus, it isn't like, yay, we're done. It's no, it's not. Now here's the introduction to your lifelong teacher who's going to instruct you every single day of your life. And you've just begun the training process. And so quickly after surrender comes discipline. How many of you enjoy discipline? Nobody. Nobody enjoys discipline. Discipline comes to, to play very quickly in our lives after the place of surrender. When you have children, children learn what this is all about, don't they? A two and three year old starts to display unpleasant behavior all on their own. And they're instructed to change or face the consequences over and over and over again. You continue to do that, you will be going into the corner. You continue to do that, there'll be no TV. You continued, there is, there's this molding of behavior, there's this thought process that a child has that needs to be changed. And I've discovered as our children are getting older that at every stage of development, discipline is required. It'd be great if we hit the teenage years and suddenly it wasn't required anymore, but it's just more challenging actually. You're like playing mind games. What are you thinking? Why are you doing what you're doing? I gotta be on top of my game here. This is much simpler when they're a two and three year old. Now it's more challenging. I remember my, my mom saying, just wait until dad comes home. How many of you had those lines coming from a parent, your, your mom, just wait till dad gets home? Oh no. Dad, I can face my mom, but my dad, his discipline was much harder and it usually in, it involved a sore backside, um, especially when I was a young person. My mom was a lightweight in that department. My dad, he made sure I knew I did something wrong. When I became a, a teenager, I, I, you know, it wasn't, obviously it wasn't that kind of discipline, but certainly it was, I, I learned that curfews were quite important. When mom and dad would be home at midnight, they meant it. Um, and suddenly my wings were, got, I remember I was out with Donna, and uh, again, parents know best, right? When they say be home at 12, it's for a good, good reason. And I was out with Donna, and I got home, I think, at 1.30 in the morning or something. And I just, I, I just kind of creeped into the house so quietly. And then I noticed that my dad wasn't there. as because his shoes right now. Oh, maybe he got called up to work. And then my dad came in. I was having a bowl of cereal, just thinking, aha, I made it. My dad was like, it was, it was in the winter time, so it was 30 below, and he was out looking for me on the roads. And he was angry. He was very angry. When he got in and saw that I was eating my bowl of Cheerios, you know, at that point, almost two in the morning, he's like, where have you been? 
Um, well, I got my wings clipped for two weeks. I was not going out anywhere except for church, you know, um, to repent, to, to find Jesus. My parents disciplined me because they loved me, right? They knew it was best. It wasn't good that I was out all hours of, of, the, of, the, of the night. They knew, especially in a dating relationship, that was probably not the best thing to do, uh, to be out really late with your girlfriend uh, in the dark. Those are not good things to do. And so as a loving parent, you, you know what is in that process. And so as a loving parent, you said, you know what? I know, what, I know what's, what's right. And I can honestly say that each time I was disciplined as a child, I never enjoyed the process. But looking back in my life, I'm very grateful they did it. Because they molded things in my life that needed to, to, or they changed things in my life that needed to change. So I could become all that God had intended me to be. Parents play an important part of this process and when we give our lives to Jesus, we become His disciples, but we become His children, part of His family. And God looks at our lives and our behavior and our thought process, how we are, and He sees the areas that need to change. So we take on the family resemblance of His Son. So we become like Him. And this change doesn't happen automatically, but requires discipline. We don't just become more like Jesus, Puzam. There's a process that you and I have to be committed to that requires discipline, that requires change in us. And we're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13, that explains this process. And then we're going to, we're going to dig into it a little bit this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 13. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And again, before we kind of look at this, before this passage is Hebrews 11 is talking about all these men of faith who who followed God and entrusted him but then it goes on since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith for who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God consider him who endured such opposition from simple men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have, and you have forgotten the words of encouragement that address you as sons. My sons, do not take light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone who accepts He accepts as sons. Endure hardship as discipline, God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers di disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may uh, not be disabled, but rather healed. Here's a great passage of Scripture that talks about discipline. And it starts off with this understanding or this, this, this thought process of let us throw off. Let us throw off. 
You know, you and I have a part to play in this. Let us throw off. If you're going to throw something, you hurl it, you, you get rid of it, right? You're not kind of holding on to it a little bit, kind of, I still got a string attached to it, but you're, you're, you're throwing it off. But you and I have this onus of our own responsibility of letting go of some things. And the first thing it says, let us throw off everything. Say everything. everything. That pretty much includes everything. That hinders. Everything that hinders our walk with the Lord. Being a disciple. To me, when I was meditating on this, it really spoke to me about these distractions of life. These things that can kind of just change our direction a bit. The things that hinder us. Now, if you're running a race... Julian just ran the, the, the London Marathon. Um, he did pretty well. Under three minutes. I could have done it probably in two, but nonetheless. No, he did very well. Anyways, you're running. Sorry. Did I say three minutes? Yeah. He was lightning speed. Broke many world records there. Three hours. You're right. Three hours. He did it under three hours. Anyways, that's not my point. The point is, is that he had to be focused. He had to be focused to finish the race. And again, it isn't so much starting the journey, becoming a disciple. It's important that we finish the task, finish the race that God's called us to, becoming more like Jesus, being all that he wants us to be. But there's things in our lives that will pull our attention one way or the other. The enemy will use any tactic he can to pull us away from what God wants us to do. And not everything that hinders us is sin. I mean, sin comes as the next statement. But there are things that can come in our lives, if we allow them to, that can, hin they can hinder us. And one of these things could be our own ambitions, our, our careers or our stuff or money, things that are not necessarily God-centered. It isn't wrong to have an ambition for a career or have, have dreams or hopes, but the thing is, Christ always needs to be in the center. Otherwise, those things can become the hindrance. Because when God is saying, I, but I want you to go in this direction, you think, no, no, but my eye's over here. This is where I'm going. This is what's important to me. God said, no, but this is what's important to me. At the point that there's a conflict, there's a hindrance. See, those things can pull us off our course. It's very difficult to run straight while looking sideways. Have you discovered that? It's a great game. Try it when you get home. You can't. You've got to look in the direction you're going. And the thing is, for us, there's things that can hinder us. So it's our ambition. It's sometimes it's bad relationships or people that are pulling us away or leading us to compromise. I think all of us know the, these kind of individuals that we can have in our lives that just they can just pull us in the wrong direction. Sometimes, can I even say Christians are not necessarily the people that are drawing us closer to Jesus. Closer. Sometimes they're people that are leading us into a direction that are not 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 God's best. Sometimes it's even busyness or, or stress. We, I don't know about you, but when I'm really busy and I feel a bit of stress, I get tunnel vision about what I'm doing. How many of you have discovered this in your own life? You get tunnel vision. You're, just, you're focused on what's happening right now. But in that, that can hinder me following Jesus because I'm so focused on what I think is important. You know, most of the things in my life that I've been stressed about, when I look back in time, I think, you know what, it really didn't matter. The things I get really stressed about, even in the church, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. God matters. And it's the stuff in our lives, it's the busyness, it's stress that can, can pull us off, can sidetrack us. It's, it can be hobbies, it's the things that are the extras. And again, it's not that hobbies are wrong, but sometimes our hobbies can consume us. 
It requires discipline to remain Christ-centered and not give way to the distractions. Otherwise, we'll never finish the race that God marked out for us. That's the intention. As God says, I, I, I want you to be my disciple, but I want you to continue to be all that I want you, I created you to be. I don't want you to be lame and disabled. Right? We see at the very end of this passage, but I want you to, to finish well. I want you to be all that I've created you to be, but you need to continue to be disciplined, to stay focused, to set our eyes upon Jesus and not look any other direction, but continue to stay focused. But then the author goes on to say, you know, but also throw off the sin that so easily entangles. And if you're entangled in something, it, it holds us back, it, it trips us up. As believers, I think we love to talk about God's love and His forgiveness and His grace, and rightly so, because that's the heart of the gospel. God is loving. God is gracious. He paid the price that you and I could not pay, that we could walk in complete forgiveness and complete freedom. He paid that price. But on the other side of the equation, or on the other side of the same coin, God is also a righteous, holy judge. And the reason He sent His Son is because He's righteous. Because He is holy. And He calls us to not, to, to not just follow Him and then... and. and Keep all of our stuff, our baggage, our sin as we were before. But actually, he says, I want you to become holy as I'm holy. Now, we are holy in Christ, but he calls us to this, this work called sanctification, where we are becoming transformed into the image of Christ. That means that sin in our lives needs to go. There's, there's, there's this reality of that. You can't just say, God is loving, and so I can continue to live as I wish. Actually, in Romans chapter 6, Paul addresses this quite sternly. Romans chapter 6, just read it quickly here. It says, verse 1 and 2, it says, shall we, uh, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, so how can we live any longer? And then verse 11 to, to 14, it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer your parts of your body um, to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer your parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For, sh for sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. A disciple cannot keep on sinning as he did before he accepted Christ because Christ has given a new life in us, in the believer, that gives the power to overcome sin. It isn't us trying to be a better person, but God, when He gives us His Spirit, He sets us free from the power of sin and death. He, His Spirit is alive in us, which means I'm no longer out of control, but actually the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I don't have to just do the things I always did before because Christ lives in me. And I don't, I'm not just succumb to this temptation. I just have to do it because that's what I've always done. Do you know what? That's a lie from the enemy. Christ has set us free from sin. I'm no longer powerless over sin. I'm not a victim of habitual sin because the Spirit of, of, the, of God lives in me and Jesus overcame sin and death. And we are now called to live by the Spirit. However, only you, only I can make that decision as to whether I continue to live this out. I can't stop sinning for you. You can't stop sinning for me. 
I have to live my own walk, my own journey. But you know what? Sin has a way of tangling us up and, and, and trapping us. There's many great men of God that got stuck in sin. That allows something in their lives. No one is immune. Okay? Again, discipleship, you don't kind of hit this point where now we're no longer tempted in some way by sin. All of us are in the same category right now. Whether you've walked with Jesus one minute or you've walked with Jesus 60 years, we're all tempted. We all have triggers in our lives. We all have sin that can easily entangle us. All of us, me included. I'm in the same boat with you guys. But discipline requires us, discipleship requires us, again, to fix our eyes upon Jesus and not give way to the plans and works, workings of the enemy and not give way to temptation in our own lives. It's a very simple message, but requires us to make decisions. It's a difficult decision because it may require radical changes. For example, if you're lying, you need to stop lying. If you're constantly going to pornography websites, you need to stop doing it. If you're gossiping, you need to stop gossiping. Again, how do you stop gossiping? You stop. You stop telling that story to the next person. You stop pulling people down by what your words. You, you stop it. If you have a problem losing your temper, you know what? You need God's help to stop doing that. You know, you and I, we, we, we have the decision. So you know what? Enough's enough. I'm going to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I'm no longer going to do this. By God's grace, by God's help, I will overcome this. Do you know what? God has given us the power, but you and I have to use it. No one can do it for you. If you're having sex outside of marriage, do you know what? Stop. Get married. It's a point of God calls us to, to start forgiving, to start listening to the conviction of the Spirit in our lives, to start living by the power of the Spirit, to start living in the freedom that Christ has to offer. You know what? God has given us everything we need to live out this life, to be a disciple, to be His followers as He calls us to be. But you and I have to discipline ourselves and throw off the sin that so easily entangles. You have to throw off the sin. Nobody else can throw off your sin. You, I have to throw off the sin. And you know, it's a conscious decision I have to make. I could do this. I could blow up right now. I could watch this on television, though it's not good for me. I could do this. I could lie right now. I, I, I could, um, oh, you name it. I could do it. But you know what? Every time we have the thought of what we could do, because it's our old nature. Do you know what? The Spirit is there also saying, don't do it. The Spirit of God is in us. And that's why we're, saying, we're to be led by the Spirit. When the Spirit says, don't do it, don't do it. Is this a simple message? Don't touch the oven because it's hot. Don't touch the stovetop. How many remember doing that as a kid? My mom, I remember mom said, don't touch it. But it's pink. Or orange. It looks like it should be fun. Our kids did it. I remember our kids, don't touch the, don't touch the stovetop. Okay, who can stop a child doing it? It has to come, you do it only once, and you realize, oh, this is bad. Bad, 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 bad. Do you know, there's things in our lives that are bad, bad, bad. And Jesus says, don't touch it. It'll burn you. 
And yet, how stupid are we? We just keep going back. Oh, yeah, that burns. Oh, I feel guilt. Oh, don't do it. Come on, grow up. Mature. Do you know, we had someone in our church in Brighton that um, come, came to church and gave her life to Jesus. And really, God was doing something in her life. And uh, she, she, she come to know the Lord. She was living with her boyfriend and um, her boyfriend wasn't on the same journey she was on. And uh, there came a point, uh, she'd been in the church a couple months and she said, I, I want to be baptized. I said, okay, that's great. So we planned a time to meet together and just talk through it. And she said, before I, I t- talk to you about baptism, I, said, I, just, said, I just want you to know this. He said, um, for the last couple of months, I really had a conviction that I shouldn't be sleeping with my boyfriend. And so I just want you to know, we're in a contract to be in our flat together. So I can't just leave at this moment. But we're not sharing the same bed and we're not sleeping together. Well, I never told her not to do that. But you know, it's a funny thing when you listen to the Holy Spirit. She had a conviction in her heart of what was right and wrong. And to me, this is what the discipline of God. Now, was that easy for her? Absolutely not. I mean, when you've had a, a, that kind of a relationship, of course, it's, it's, it's something you, you, you've given yourself in that way. But she, there was something, there was a conviction in her of the Holy Spirit that, that led her to, to, to make decisions that were challenging. But I believe they were God-honoring. And there was a fruit of her life as a result. We can only do this when we keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, who paid the price for us so we can walk in this freedom. And again, this isn't easy. It's, it's hard. It's challenging. But can I tell you, it's always worth it in the end. Whenever we say yes to God and no to sin, it's always worth it for us in the end. Because God's way is better. It is better. Even if the world says the very opposite. And there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation pulls us down. And the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So no matter what's in our past, Jesus has set us free from. But conviction is something different because conviction calls us higher in Jesus. Conviction is you shouldn't do this because you're now belonging to the Creator. And His conviction leads us to a place of change. I had a conversation with someone today, this week who said, I just feel guilty for not doing these things that I know I should be doing. As if guilt was, she was saying it was a bad thing. But actually, I looked at his conviction. Guilt? Do you know what? The Holy Spirit can be a real nag when we're doing the wrong thing. The Holy Spirit takes the fun out of any, anything that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. Just, he's a killjoy. And you can say, well, I don't like the guilt. Well, do you know what? Tough. Stop doing it or start doing it. And you know what? The guilt will go because you'll know you're following God's plan. Okay, I've, I've hit this point hard enough. <laughs> let's, let's move on. The next part of this passage moves on to talking about God disciplines through hardship. And again, this is, this is a hard passage for all of us. Verse 7, endure hardship is discipline. There are, these are the circumstances, the challenging circumstances that we all face in life that we have no control over. But God is using them, these moments, to discipline us and to bring the change in our lives. And it's often in these moments we can ask the question, why me? I think all of us, we hit these moments and think, why me? Why is this happening in my life? 
What did I do wrong? You know, it has nothing to do with what you've done wrong. It's something God wants to do deep in your heart. That sometimes only a challenge or a hardship can bring about in us. There's a couple moments in my life I, I remember the challenging moments. I remember when we first stepped out in ministry, Don and I were living in Holland, working with a missionary couple, and they were just nasty. To say nicely, they were, they were nasty people, calling themselves missionaries. And they accused us of all sorts of things, and, and they, they, it was hard. Don and I, we didn't know what was up from down. And I remember through that whole process, just struggling Thank God, we, we're here trying to serve you, and I don't know why I'm, we're being accused of things that we've never done, or it's not in our hearts. And, and yet God was teaching us in these moments to forgive and to love unconditionally, teaching us these deep lessons of, of ministry life that I've carried with me ever since. And looking back, would I go through it again? I would go through it again for what I learned out of it in my walk with God. We also had, when we moved here, and I, I'm sure I've shared this before in the church, but for those who haven't heard it, I'll share it for your benefit. Everyone else can just ignore me for the next couple minutes. When we moved to, Hull, or moved to England and we, we planned to plant the church in Brighton and yippee-ho, we were going to do it in, a, in Pizzazz. And man, we pumped all of our finances into starting the church. And uh, we, we started the church in October, hit February, and our money was gone. The church had like two people and... And I remember not getting out of bed one day, feeling utterly crushed, utterly crushed. God, and I remember just praying, God, we gave up our lives to follow you. We've given up our finances. We've given everything. And I see nothing. I've, I've lost everything. In fact, I just felt like I lost everything. You know, it was in that moment that God revealed that there was things in my heart that needed to change. And it took a crushing moment for me to realize I had pride in my own life. Masqueraded as something different, but I had this arrogance that I knew how to do church and the English people did not. Boy, have I, got to been, have I been schooled differently. I became, I learned that I needed to depend completely upon Jesus and not upon my own gifting, my own strength, my own money, my own, my, 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 mind. But you know what? I had to learn it the hard way. I don't think anyone could have told me it and I would have stuck. But you're sitting there with nothing left, and you realize, God, I need you. Aha, that's where I want you. Now, I would love it if it would have came a different way. But knowing me, it had to come this way. It's the only way I would have learned it. You know, for you and for me, we're on our own journeys, and sometimes we hit these troubled waters in our lives, and think, God, why? What's happening? Why is my world falling apart? God said, you know, I'm doing something in your heart that you can't see right now, but I see what the finished product will be. Just keep holding on to me. Just keep trusting me. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But you know what? If you keep on the journey, if you keep saying yes, or keep surrendering, keep walking the, the line, you know what? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace in your life. I can attest to that in my own, my own journey. Although I, I haven't always understood in moments why, God has done something in me through these moments that is far greater, far deeper than just the easy sailing would ever do. We actually come away from these moments experiencing and understanding God's love and grace in far more profound ways than we would ever without the experience. And again, there's many people in this room that can attest to that in their own lives. 
Do we wish hard times to come on us? Absolutely not. We're not, this is a masochism. We're not hoping that God beats us up. No. But you know what? Sometimes we need to go through hard times. God allows it to happen. God allowed David to go through difficulty. God allowed Joseph to go through hardship. God allowed Moses to sit 40 years on the backside of the desert for hard things to happen and to prepare them for what God had for their lives. Is it easy? Does it make it, does it make it palatable? No. Why? Because discipline does not seem pleasant at the time, but painful. And maybe right now you're, you're facing a painful moment. Can I just encourage you to keep going? God sees where you're at. And he, he, he's, he loves you. And again, the question, but why would this be happening if God loves me? Do you know what? God loves you enough to not leave you as you are. We heard this last week. God loves you enough to not keep you in the same thought process that you were before. He wants to draw you deeper. He wants to produce in you this harvest of righteousness and peace. Just as I bring it to a close, just a couple of questions. Are we willing to allow God to form in us that which he sees best? Are we, allow, are we willing for that to happen? It's, it's kind of like when we go to the doctor. I don't know if you've had this happen. You go to the doctor and they say you need to cut out salt and you need to cut out sugars and fats and you need to start exercising. Well, that's not very good news, doctor. I don't like any of those things. I like my salt. How many like salt? I love salt. Apparently salt's not the best thing to have in every meal. But it takes discipline to actually, for our bodies, physical bodies, to become what they need to be, healthy. And sometimes these things need to change in us. The Lord disciplines those He loves. Are we willing to be disciplined by Him, to give way to Him? Again, this final thought, He loves us too much to leave us as we are. Could you stand with me, please? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church, passionately loving God and people, in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.